Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. I am here with my standard co-host, Mr. Jason Colvin, a very special guest with us today, our Patreon, Jeannie Alexander. Hold on, hold on. Okay, I'm sorry. I was just trying to enjoy the silence. <laughs> Come on, guys. Do I have to buy the laugh out here? Come on. All right, Jeannie, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about Depeche Mode. Jeannie, tell us what Depeche Mode means to you. Well, first, let me say thank you for having me today. This is kind of old hat for you all. It's very much bucket list for me. I've enjoyed the show, enjoy being a Patreon member. When Jason called me, I was super excited to be here. What Depeche Mode means to me is great music, lots of dancing. Jason gave me a little history about you, and I feel confident that we're going to get some magical, mind-blowing tidbits. Oh, okay. <laughs> I see your notes over there already. I know, uh... I know. I've studied up. I'm ready. I'm prepared. <laughs> so Jeannie is actually one of my wife's very best friends and college roommate. Yes, yes. And we went to high school together. We went to high school together, and then it was after college at Jason and... Catherine, Kathy, their wedding, their marriage, that Chris and I met, my husband, and 26 years later, here we are, 27 years later, right? So you That's met her. your future husband at Jason and Catherine's wedding? Yes, we were both in the wedding party. He caught the boutonniere, I caught the bouquet, we went out the next night, and we've been together ever since. Wow. How about that? That's some magic right there. How about that? That bouquet boutonniere thing, nobody really buys that, but turns out it can be true. And the funny thing is, is I don't know if Kathy will remember this, but I can remember phone conversations when we were kids talking about, oh, we're going to marry best friends. We're going to live right next door to each other. <laughs> and we did marry best friends. We live a few miles apart, but... Here we are. Fantastic. Pretty amazing. I'm excited to be a part of this happy family. Well, guys, we are here today to talk about Depeche Mode and their album, Violator. Now, this is an album long in their career, just like the album that we're comparing it to, which is Disintegration by The Cure. Now, last week we were joined by our other Patreon member, Miss Amanda Janik. She was a Cure, not just fan, but super fan, super freak fan, if you will. And Jeannie, when we asked you about these two albums, and I don't want you to give away what your final judgment is yet, but you were like, do I have to pick Depeche Mode? So it's going to be a surprise at the end of this, whether you're going to fall on the Depeche Mode side of things or on the Cure side of things. I'm excited. Guys, we're going to do a quick history on the band because there's a lot of great music to jump into here. The members of the band are Dave Gahan, Martin Gore, Andy Flesher, Vince Clark, and Alan Wilder. All right, so 1977, Vince Clark and Andy Fletcher start a band together called No Romance in China. I got something for you on that. Yeah, tell the me. early formation of the band, No Romance in China. Fletcher and Clark were members of the Methodist Youth Group, the local Methodist Youth Group. And I heard them talk about how they would go to Wednesday Club together. Uh-huh. And it was birthed out of the church. Well, my oh, first wow. band was a church band, too. It's a great place to start a band. It is. You got lots of rooms to uh, to practice in. Turns out they were fans of The Cure. They were also fans of The Human League and of Kraftwerk, bands which we've talked about in depth before in other episodes and in our Patreon episodes. By the way, thank you for being a Patreon member, Jeannie. Thank you, Happy Chris, who's <laughs> sitting back in the back there with us. Guys, if you want to be an executive producer of one of our episodes, go to patreon.com 
backslash Shirley Podcast. And for as little as five bucks a month, you can become a Patreon member and you will get access to all our exclusive episodes where we cover one hit wonders and other special songs and artists that we might not otherwise cover. That's right. So back to Depeche Mode, 1978, Martin Gore starts playing acoustic guitar for a duo. The duo is called Norman and the Worms. The other guy's name was Phil, so I'm not really sure who Norman is <laughs> or who the Worms are. 1980, Clark and Fletcher reform the band and they call it Composition of Sound. Gore soon joins them and then Vince Clark sees Dave Gahan singing and says, we need this guy for our band. Jason, do you know what song he was singing? I do, and yeah. I'm glad you pointed at me because that's... That is the type of chemistry we have. He Jason's is, over here raising his hand. I have something. Mr. Carter. <laughs> yes, he sings Heroes by David Bowie, which we covered last fall when we did Stranger Things. Stranger Things. We actually covered the Peter Gabriel version, but That's yes, right. we talked about David Bowie quite extensively. We and talked I, about that song. I believe Dave Gahan was a huge Bowie fan. So as this four-piece band, still called Composition of Sound, they do their first live performance June 14th, 1980 at Nicholas School in Basildon. I believe they were very into OND as well, Orchestral yeah, Maneuvers yeah. in the Dark. And then Susie and the Banshees as well, they were really into them. And she, I don't know if you know this, but um, I guess it's Sid Vicious was in Susie and the Ban Banshees. And at one point... Robert Smith was touring with Susie and the Banshees and ended up that. By the we way, we talked about that at, last yeah. week. Yes, in quite the a bit of detail. Like, we know that, Jeannie. <laughs> Move on. That's okay. Robert Smith not only had to come in and cover for the guitarist who left, but ultimately finished the tour and then would come back and do shows with them frequently. That's right. His quote was, "Once a Banshee, always Banshee." So at some point, they said, "You know what? Uh, composition of sound seems kind of pretentious," and they're a little embarrassed about that, and so they decided to change their name. One of the considerations was musical movements. Mm -hmm. I don't really know how that's less pretentious or better in any way, shape, or form, but they decided, "No, we're going to go with this fashion magazine title called Depeche Mode." <laughs> Depeche is an old term that means breaking news or dispatch, and mode is fashion. So, Depeche Mode was a magazine about the latest fashion news. Now, Depecheur is also a verb, he put an E on the end of the verb when he said this, that means to hurry. So, taking, taken out of context, this could be translated as hurried fashion which means nothing. Now, who gave you this information? This is Gautier, my French next-door neighbor who's a good friend and always pitching ideas and fun stuff. We love me. Gautier. Yeah, Gautier. Okay, so by 1980, they do their first recording, but it is for an album called Some Bizarre Album, which is a bunch of unsigned bands that are affiliated with a record label called Some Bizarre Records. In the meantime, they make a demo tape, but instead of sending it out to people, they walk in the record studio's door and say, we want you to listen to this tape. And they're like, F Who off, you? dude. Right, yeah. Like, what? And they're, and they're like, okay, leave the tape and we'll listen. They're like, no, it's our only one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll wait. <laughs> and they usually got sent out the door. They said their goodbyes, but 
ultimately they get signed with a record label. Now, Dave said that they had had a bunch of offers from major labels, offering them loads of money and clothes allowances and all this fantastic stuff. But since they ultimately sign with a virtually unknown brand new label called Mute Records, guy named Dan Miller sees them perform and he says they have this following that's with them. And what I really noticed was that the following didn't just stand there and watch the band. They were dancing. And he says, if they can pull that off, who knows what they can do. So this leads to their first single called Dreaming of Me. So that song reached number 57, and it leads to their second single, which is called New Life. That one hit number 11 and got them on Top of the Pops. Now, this is in the UK, right? This is in the UK, right. So... Real quick, we can listen to New Life here. So, Jeannie, you know this one. I know this one well. This is one of the first ones I remember of them, and I really love it. There's a lot of um, bouncing beats in it, but it sounds very much like Kraftwerk and all the electronics and, and what was going on after post-punk movement. Yeah. So they got to play Top of the Pops, but they literally took the train from Basildon all the way to London, carrying their synthesizers with them. (laughs) Wow. Vince Clark went out of his way to point out that his was the heaviest. (laughs) Then came Just Can't Get Enough, their first top 10 hit, and there's a video that comes out for this one. It is the only video that Vince Clark actually appears with the band in. So all three of those singles come out before their first album, but it is in, they're all included on that first album, which comes out in October 1981, and it is called Speak and Spell. Do you have a Speak and Spell? I had a Speak and Spell. I had a Speak and Spell. <laughs> We're talking about the little thing that you could type in the words and it would talk back yes. to you? A, B, C. And it took C. you about five minutes to type in dirty words? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Album number two comes out in 1982. It's called A Broken Frame. 1983, we get construction time again. They start changing their sound a little bit at this point. Vince has left the band, and they have Alan Wilder come in and join the band. Now, Alan was a classically trained pianist, and he really kind of became the musical composer behind the band once he joined them in 82. And Construction Time is really cool because they really do something special with a sampler. Sampling had just started at that point, and so they were going out and they were trying to find anything they could to make weird sounds with so that they could translate that into music. Some of the sounds that you hear on that are on those early albums are like banging a bar into a construction post at a job site. And I think one of them even ends with, a, it's like a bang, hey, because the foreman is like, you kids get out of here. And there was another one of them rolling a rock along a piece of metal just to get these weird sounds that they would then stick in a sequencer, give it a rhythm, and create the music that they had. Now, I said something about guitars earlier. These guys were not using guitars. They were not using drums. They were the, like you said, post-punk kind of antithesis of that sound. We are not going to be a standard rock and roll band. We are doing something different. Before you leave Vince Clark, I think it's important to mention where he ends up because that was mind-blowing to me. Okay, guys, before we go on, I just want to tell you about this awesome podcast we found. Can you hear a big difference between Parliament and Funkadelic? Are you able to name the members of Wings who were not Paul and Linda? Are you intimately familiar with every track on side six of The Clash's 
Sandinista. Then Discographies, the podcast for you. Discography is a music obsessive's dream come true. Our friend Dave Gebro and his guests explore an artist or band's entire recorded output in a futile but valiant attempt to reach the higher truth, often cleverly disguised as a nerdy compendium of star ratings and lists. Some of the show's many amazing guests have included director John Landis, Jim Florentine doing four episodes on Black Sabbath, Lou Barlow rating the zombies, members of Pavement doing a five-parter rating of their own work, and Bob Mayer on The Replacements. He's also been releasing three shows a week for over a year in one of the most active Patreons humanly possible. You are not going to want to miss it. Discography is available wherever podcasts are consumed. The you and I, we definitely recommend you subscribe and listen to this podcast. It's great. Fantastic. Deep dive to its deepest. Right. He didn't just leave the band and go away and off into the you know distance. He actually originally started um, with Yazoo. I don't know if you know this. Do you know what their big song at the time was with Yaz was Don't Go? from a movie it's from a movie can you tell me the movie no okay what is I it i am shocked that you cannot tell me the movie uh. it is from tango and cash <laughs> oh wow <laughs> and it is the scene that i would think that every teenage boy in america at the time would remember terry hatcher yes. is sylvester stallone's sister. sister i believe and she comes out dancing yeah, she's to this the, song, uh, it's a little risque. Yes, yeah. she's a stripper. Yes, 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 she is. <laughs> yes, and that's where that song came from. It's more stripper music. Thank you, Jeannie. <laughs> You're yes. so welcome. Glad I could help. <laughs> so wow. Vince, Vince Clark is with Yaz, does he, that song, and then he goes on he to form leaves, another band. Yeah. Yes, he leaves and he teams up with Andy Bell, and they form Erasure. And Erasure is huge in its own right. One of the things that um, Vince Clark talked about when he left Depeche Mode was they were kind of going to, from new wave to a dark wave, they were kind of taking a darker turn. He liked the light-hearted stuff, and that is definitely where Erasure was. I mean, Respect and Chains of Love is what I know yes. them from. Yeah. Oh, they have so many hits. It's awesome. Okay, so we're to 1984. In July of 1984, just after the release of the single of the same name, they come out with their, what I would call, pivotal album called People Are People. So People Are People, that actually put them on the global stage, right? This is their first hit in America. It goes to number 14 on the Hot 100. Still hit us on the radio today. So this is a, I mean, this is their stamp, their coming out party in 1984. So same year, they follow that album up with Some Great Reward, which comes out in September of 84. Then they take a little bit of time, and in 1986, they come out with Black Celebration. And then in 1987, they hit us with a big one called Music for the Masses. The song that I know from Music from the Masses is Strange Love. Here's what I know about this time as well. So they've achieved some level of success in the U.S. They've got this following. They have a concert at the Rose Bowl, and they pack the place out. 
Yeah, the band had gone from being a club band in 1980 to being a stadium band by 1987. So they've become a stadium band, but they have never, in all of these albums, had a top 10 on the Billboard 200. They decide it's time to change things up. So for this album, they get together with a guy they call flood so they change up who they're working with they change up how they do things they had kind of gotten a formula on how they created their album and they decided you know we've gotten into a rut and so their main song guy is martin gore right he comes up with the stuff that's right and he'll give them a demo and they'll they'll go through it and then they'll spend so long in the studio and they decide you know what we're going to change that Martin, you still come up with songs, but we want you to give it to it as as basic as you can. Just a guitar and you singing, and that's it. So they definitely wanted to change things up. And from what I understand, at the end, that final concert in Pasadena, Alan Wilder, he said for him it was like the band had reached a destination, that they had arrived, and now it was time to change course. I've got something on Flood. His real name is Mark Ellis. Do you know how he got the name Flood? No. I do. But go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, pants. <laughs> so here's what I heard. When he was a young engineer, they would, you know, the low man on the totem pole, hey, go get us tea, go get us something to drink, or whatever. And he would always overfill the cups. <laughs> so every time you bring it back to them, it's spilling everywhere. Yes. And they, that's how they got his name, Flood. You know, you talked about how it was Martin Gore's job to write the songs. Alan Wilder was kind of the arranger and he and Flood would kind of work together to choose the direction of the song. And we're going to talk about a song here in a minute where Martin Gore brings it in at its basic state, intends to go a certain direction. They take it somewhere totally different and you get one of the greatest songs of the 1990s. Yeah. And then the other thing they decide to do is to do an in-store autograph session in one of LA's most prominent record stores called warehouse music just before the album's about to come out well what ends up happening is about twenty thousand fans show up and it's scenes from early elvis days and early beatles days they're losing their mind people are getting smashed against the glass people are jumping on cars women are fainting and screaming <laughs> because of the size of the crowd and what some were describing as riotous conditions, they were on every single news channel in the country that night, and the album came out the next day. That's huge, right? It's huge. I think that means it's time to hit play on the tape player and let us hear song number one as we go track by track through Violator. Okay, the first song on Violator is called World In My Eyes. This is a fantastic kickoff to the album. Yeah, the the music, I, I, I thought, well, this is, they're starting kind of slow with this. Dave comes in with those vocals. It's fan-freaking-tastic. I realize, I realize that I said they don't do love songs, but they don't do stripper songs either. But the, my goodness, this is love and sex all over the place. I think they do a lot of love <laughs> songs, actually. <laughs> I meant like silly little love songs. They right. do deep love songs. How right, about that? Right. To me, I think it's, a, I know it was maybe the fourth single released. Or single. Okay, but it, I think it's perfect as the first song on the album because it's still kind of reminiscent of who they were in music for the masses at the beginning. But you're right, when Dave starts singing, you're like, oh, but it's a little different. I really enjoy this one. Well, it's almost like an invitation. Like, mm -hmm. let me take you on right. a trip, Here right? We go. This is the introduction. Come on board. 
Let me take you on a trip. We're going to work our way through this album, and it's going to be great. A sort of a womanly sigh on the uh, on the beat. Sounds a lot like All She Wants Is by Duran Duran. I see it, Jason. Thank totally you. Thank it. you. <laughs> Andy Fletcher said that when they heard the demo on this one, he didn't really think it stood out at all. But then, like you said, once they got it in the studio and started working with it, he said it all came together brilliantly. And at this point, it is my favorite track that we have. Andy Fletcher's favorite like Depeche Mode song. All time. Okay, so the interesting story I heard on this was Dave was supposed to record his vocals, but when he left, he left for a few days, took a couple of days off. When he had come back, they had slowed it down. And he's like, guys, you ruined this song. But then it sort of worked on him and he came around to it. Are you aware of a cover of this song? Yes, because you texted it to us yes. the other day. <laughs> well, tell us about it. Um, the Cure actually covered this song in 1998 on the tribute album for Music for the Masses. And I think it's a great cover. It's fantastic. Martin Gore says about this song, love, sex, pleasure are positive things. If I'm not mistaken, I believe Anton Corbin did the majority of the videos he did. for Violator. And this particular video has Dave in a convertible driving up to an old drive-in. From what I saw, he is trying to convince a young woman that's in the car with him to be more physical and let's go ahead and do this. And for me, the first thing I thought of is the scene in Greece yes. when Danny Zuko yes. is trying to convince Sandy that, hey, it's all good. It's going <laughs> to feel so great. Let's go for it. And she is having nothing to do with it. And she slams that door and gets out of that sin wagon. You're and a fake and a phony, and I never want to see you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> stranded at the drive-in. He's branded yeah. a fool. <laughs> hey, you know, when you talk about the videos for this album, listen, the songs are great. Let's put them in a separate category for just a second. The videos in this album, they're dumb. They don't represent the grandeur of these songs. I would completely agree. I think Anton Corbin is Dutch and has a very unique take on things, and they stick with him. They really um, like his style, but I don't believe you were the only person to point that out. In fact, I think some of their management or engineers, someone somewhere said that same thing to them. It was like, they are not doing you any justice, these videos. We're going to talk about one here in a minute where Dave walks around in a preschool-looking king outfit, and he looks ridiculous. I mean, we're talking first video, pour some sugar on me type of stuff. I'm going to go ahead and disagree with both of you guys. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, <laughs> I like <laughs> <pointing>. the king. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I think that we are talking about a group that has a different sound than every other artist that's coming out in 1990. I mean, they just don't sound the same. And I don't think their videos should look the same. Yeah, they don't have some great grand production value, but they have a very unique style to them. And just speaking about Anton Corbin, he did Nirvana, the Nirvana video for Heart Shaped Box, and he's done a couple of movies. One of them is called The American with George Clooney. Have you guys seen that one? Yes. And that movie sucked. <laughs> <laughs> but he also did this movie a couple years before that in 2007 called Control, and that is a movie about Ian Curtis, the lead singer for Joy Division. Wow. And oh. the guy that they got to play, Ian Curtis, looks exactly like Ian Curtis. 
Interesting. Yeah. Hey, before we move on to song number two, I just want to drop some stuff I learned on Dave Gahan, okay? So he's born in May of 1962. found this interesting. At age nine, his father, Jack Gahan, dies. And then at age 10, he comes home from school, and there's a stranger in his living room with his mom. And his mom says, Dave, I'd like to introduce you to your father. And he says, what are you talking about? My father died. This is impossible. She's like, well, this is your biological father. Whoa. And he's like, world shook. What, where have you been for nine years? What, what's going on here? This is ridiculous. This is not my dad. And it really rocks his world. And so that guy, his name is Lynn Colcott. He hangs around for a little while and then vanishes again for the rest of his life. And of course, Dave gets into some trouble. He starts st stealing cars and robbing, stealing stuff. He gets sent to like this juvenile detention area for six weeks. He joins Depeche Mode at age 18, but he'd already tried heroin. So kind of a rough childhood for Dave. And as we'll see as we progress, it gets worse. Did you know that Martin Gore did not know his real father either? Oh, my gosh. But so these two individuals who I think are the stronger personalities of the band, the two front men, basically, sure. have both this similar shared background where the men that they believed were their biological fathers were, in fact, not. And I think that probably influences the writing, and the singing and writing. Okay, so the next song on the album, song number two, this <clears throat> song is called Sweetest Perfection. Sweetest perfection to call my own. The slightest correction couldn't find me home. What do you think, Jean? It's not my favorite. <laughs> I don't dislike it though. I I think it's very ominous. It speaks to addiction and obsession. Martin Gore is singing it, not Dave. I typically really like Martin Gore's vocals. This one I could do without. Sweetest perfection. Sweetest infection, sweetest injection. Yeah. This is a drug song, yeah. is it, right? Is that what it is? Yes, this is a drug song. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. I talked to Amanda Janik. Uh-huh. She says she hates this song. <laughs> this is like the one that she was like, ah, I can't stand it. I like it's, total skipper. It's very like, yeah, it is a skipper. It's very dirty and dark and uh, yeah. I was legitimately surprised when this was number two on the album. I was like, it doesn't seem like it one doesn't you seem stick like in a your first two, three right. songs, right? Totally. Yeah. So you want the listener to go back and start over, right? Right. <laughs> right. So maybe this was filler that they said, hey, this isn't our best song. So maybe we stick it between the world and my eyes and our best song. Surely they'll hang around for song number three, right? <laughs> yeah. So let's go ahead and move on to song Why number Why don't we three. just go ahead? Because that's what everybody's here for anyway. Okay. And literally one of the best songs of the 1990s. This song is called Personal Jesus. Reach out, touch faith. better stop it or we'll just stay here and jam out to the whole song. I got to tell you, I Depeche Mode was not a huge band for me growing up, right? right. I, I, I liked their songs, but it wasn't, I didn't go buy their albums. As an adult, we have songs downloaded. I have one Depeche Mode song on my phone. This is it. This song is phenomenal. It's a freaking banger. It is amazing. I absolutely love it. So when Elvis Presley is in Germany in the military, he meets a 14-year-old girl who he thinks is beautiful, but she's 14. Right. So he decides to wait a couple years to ask her to come over and visit. How nice. 
<laughs> in that time, he becomes one of the biggest, most famous people in the world. Already had was pretty famous, but I sure. mean, mind-blowingly big at that point. So 16-year-old Priscilla comes over to his house, and every other woman who's there has just given her the evil eye. And as soon as Elvis sees her, two years later, by the way, as soon as he sees her, he comes, runs up, pulls her up in his arms, says he's been waiting so long to see her, kisses her, and within a very short amount of time, they are married. Yeah. And why is that story important? <clears throat> well, because in 1985, Priscilla writes a book. It's called Elvis and Me. And she talks about, which you would expect for a girl of 16 getting married, how he was her everything. He was like her own little god. He was her personal Jesus. So Martin Gore reads these words and he's like, this does not seem like a healthy relationship, but it sounds like a great basis for a song. So my grandmother was a huge fan of Elvis and had this book and somehow at 14 or 15 years old, it ended up in my possession. And I read the book. Yeah. And I totally agree with Martin Gore. That is one dysfunctional relationship. And I am, as a mom myself now, shocked that her parents ever thought, sure, go to the U.S. We'll stay back here in the U.K. and go ahead and live with him. And he became... Her father figure, her husband, and like you said, the personal Jesus. Okay, I can't figure out for the life of me why this is not a number one smash. What position did this reach in the charts? Number 28 on the Hot 100. We don't have time for 27 no, songs. No, no, no. Okay, let me just drop. Okay, so yeah. Escapade by Janet Jackson hits number one, March 3rd of 1990. Good song. Not better not, than this. Not better than this. Not even, not close. even close. Right. Okay, this song only reaches number 28. Okay, stop me when I hit one that you know or like, okay? Okay. These are songs ranked higher than Personal Jesus on the countdown. Yeah. Here We Are by Gloria Estefan. No. We Can't Go Wrong by The Cover Girls. No. No More Lies by Michelle. No. What is that? Too Late to Say Goodbye by Richard Marks. I've heard of it. No Myth by Michael Penn. No. I'll Be Your Everything by Tommy Page. What the heck? These songs all ranked higher on the hot one. Are you... Freaking like kidding me? Bizarro world. It is. It it's is, insane. They got the chart upside down. It is considering that this was released as a single six months prior to the album release. And really the main reason why there was a riot in LA. Because that's the music they had heard and that's why people were excited. So it's mind boggling to me that that's as high as it went. Rolling Stone ranked this number 368 of their 500 greatest songs of all time. I disagree. Too, too to low? <laughs> too low. Yes. Too low. <laughs> too low. So this was reached August 29th, 1989. I still can't quite figure out why it's six months ahead of the album. So I had read um, that Warner Brothers, that after Music for the Masses, the sales were really high for Depeche Mode and they'd started to go stagnant. They They were starting to drop off. And so they wanted like this infusion of music and this was it personal jesus so they brought that out six months in advance they did like what you were talking about earlier with the um personal ads just to drum up excitement for the album and it obviously worked i am shocked 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 that it didn't go higher on the charts because this for me as a teenager I have a, you know, jason you and i grew up in the same town in we did oklahoma we did 
not a lot to do. It was basically either you were trying to find a little dance club to go to or you were driving around with half the high school in a caravan trying to find an open field to do something. Nothing nefarious, of course. Yes. Of course. <laughs> just of course. to chat. Right? Mom's just, listening to this. Yes, just to chat. <laughs> right. But I have a very distinct memory before Violator came out listening to this song, and we are driving around in... Um, who's we? Who's we? Your wife, your <laughs> wonderful, lovely, beautiful wife, and our friend Mary Beth. Uh-huh. And we're in Mary Beth's car, and we're in a caravan. We're driving through a park with like 30 other cars with kids from my high school. And your wife and I are hanging up the sunroof, dancing to personal Jesus. I'm 17 years old. I'm thinking life is good. And I'm thinking I am super cool. <laughs> That's the pinnacle Sad. time. My right lovely wife. It's, yes. all, it's all downhill after that. <laughs> that is fantastic. I Kathy would love that story. Okay. Let's talk about the personal ads real quick. We, we talked about it briefly, but in the personal ads in the newspaper for this song, prior to this album being released, there's an ad. I sent it to you. I sent, I sent this to you guys. It says, your own personal Jesus, and it's just a phone number. And when you would call that number, it would play the song. How cool is that? Yeah. Very yeah. cool. But I believe people got upset by that, so they had to stop doing it. <laughs> which is insane. I'm trying to... Rescue myself. I have life problems and you're playing rock music to me. To go back to your show about The Cure, do you know where this ranks with Robert Smith of The Cure? Go ahead. It is one of his favorite top 30 songs of the 80s. So Robert Smith has a healthy appreciation for Depeche Mode. So here's the thing I found interesting. I sent this to you guys this week. People realized, okay, this is a great song. It was covered by Marilyn Manson. Johnny Cash. Your own personal Jesus. Sammy Hagar. Def Leppard. By the way, if you listen to the Kate Bush song, The Dreaming, I sent this to you guys. Did you listen to it? Yes, I did. And I think you're spot on. The breathing at that point, totally stolen from that song and dropped into Personal Jesus. Let's talk video. So this video, again, by Anton Corbin, is kind of strange. In the video, they end up at a Spanish brothel. Yes, they do. Totally wholesome. And um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a little weird, true Anton Corbin. Um, we've got the mechanical horse and some different things going on, and... This is one of those videos that MTV actually edited because some of the um, parts of the video were a little too suggestive. I thought that was a little weird. So I saw the original video, the breathing part, and then the horse's butt was uh -huh. like, yeah, they kind of or riding cut together. the mechanical horse. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the horse's butt. Yes, the horse's butt uh -huh. was too suggestive for MTV. Yeah, so. that what? 
It's it's just weird. It just looks weird. It's very odd. So if you're keeping track at home, Jeannie has talked about strippers and brothels. (laughs) And horses butts. And horses butts. (laughs) And after hours clubs. That's right. I do think it's interesting. So the big banging part of this chorus, when you're in concert, this is what everybody screams, is the reach out, touch faith part. That was stolen from the old telephone ads for reach out and touch someone. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. There you go. Early lines in the song. Feeling unknown and you're all alone. Flesh and bone. By the telephone. Lift up the receiver. I'll make you a believer. It's genius. I mean, it's it's like you're calling out to somebody who's reading the personal ads. Yep. Yeah. I do think that his vocals get a little buried in the verses. I wish they were a little more prominent because... The lyrics are so cool. There's a little breakdown on the song where it does this cool whooshing sound. We'll listen to it here. That absolutely makes the song for me. That is exactly how I felt. You're listening, you're like, this is pretty groovy. And then it hits that part and you're like, oh yeah, they took it up a level. This is so good. By the way, Johnny Cash's comment on this song. This is, quote, probably the most evangelical gospel song I have ever recorded. Wow. Uh, I don't know if the writer meant that, but it is what it is. Wow. Okay. Are we done with Personal Jesus? Truly one of the great songs of the 1990s. The next song on the album is called Halo. Okay. This one works for me too. Well, speaking of songs that are confusing about the meaning and whether he was Sunday clubbing it or not with Personal Jesus, Martin Gore says, I'm almost obsessed with the idea of good and evil. I suppose my songs do seem to advocate immorality, but if you listen, there's always a sense of guilt. On Halo, I'm saying, let's give in to this, but there's also a feeling of wrongfulness. I can feel... why this song wasn't a single i really like this song i think it's one of the stronger ones it's really good it is and the line you wear guilt like shackles on your feet like a reverse halo i mean to me that is poetic in the way that he understands what guilt is and i agree there's the back and forth between this is bad this is going to cause so many problems for us but i'm going to push through the guilt because it's completely worth it so here's the, the interesting thing. We, we come across this sometimes where they don't release it as a single, but they did make a video for this one. I watched the video. I, It's odd. P.U. <laughs> it stinks. It's, it's odd. Do you, did you pick up on the cameo in the video? No, who? Oh my gosh, really? Yes. Is it the pretty girl in clown makeup? No. Okay. It's one of the dancers, one of the female dancers. It is a young Jenna Elfman. Wow. Dharma yes. and Greg. Dharma. Right? Yes. yes. Wow. She trained really cool. as a classical dancer before she went into film. She is in the video. Okay. Now I gotta go check now that, that out. is really cool. There's yeah. even that is awesome. There's an interview out there where she talks about it. It was her first thing that she had done on film was that video. Well, outside of the appearance of Jenna Elfman. P U. Well, I mean it's like <laughs> it's weird. There's a donkey, there's 
strong men. It's like a circus. It looks like it's a traveling say, circus. Say, say, say with Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney, okay? Martin Does Gore. Dave win an arm wrestling competition? <laughs> no, but Martin Gore is juggling in clown makeup with a with another girl, a pretty girl, wearing clown makeup, and they're juggling. It's what? Well, they're juggling because she's actually the strong man's girlfriend, Dave Gahan. And so right. she ends up telling him, no, I'm going to go with the clown. And then they end up sleeping underneath the, like the circus car or something. I don't know. It's it's very, very strange. I do have another bit of information that's cool about this song. Okay, what do you got? Um, and it goes back to the musical side of things. They do, you know, Depeche Mode is known for sampling. They sampled a Led Zeppelin song. It's actually, they sampled a rap song that sampled a Led Zeppelin song when the levee breaks. If you're going to do it, you might as well go with the best, right? I dig it. I like it. Just not the video. The video sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Bad effort. <laughs> That's right, sucks. <laughs> I said it. <laughs> okay, next song on the album. This song is called Waiting for the Night. I'm waiting for the night to fall. I know that it will save us all. When everything's dark, keeps us from the star. Like you said, they usually, it's either one singing or the other one, or uh, maybe they're singing back and forth, but they, they harmonize on this one, and it's really it's really well done. Yeah. I like this song, too. This is much more similar to the, the soundscapes that we get off of Disintegration. Yeah, it's, it's romantic, it's lovely, it's soft, it's beautiful. I'm going to go this well again. It's like if you're watching Miami Vice... And Crockett is being seduced. I had the same thought. thought Jason's going to say this for this song. Crockett is being seduced by the daughter of a Colombian drug lord. (laughs) And he's scared to give in, but it's very seductive and emotional and romantic. She's about to be killed. (laughs) Of course she is. This reminds me of like something that you would have on a sleep app. It is so peaceful. That's right. Yeah, that's and calm. good. Yeah. And um, the video is the same way. It's just very like black and white. It's six minutes of sleep app. It is. I agree. <laughs> I agree. It works. <laughs> it works. And this, if this one, they go back to mainly electronics as far as instruments go. Okay, Jason. Before we keep going, there is a podcast that you and I just discovered, which is fan freaking tastic that I wanted to tell everybody about. Yeah, it's called Famous and Gravy. Yeah, a couple of guys, very much like ourselves, same generation. They have that kind of same talking back and forth chemistry. Michael Osborne and Amit Kapoor, they have this really awesome format, and it just it keeps you engaged in the podcast the whole freaking time. Yeah, so they talk about a person who is dead and whether or not you would want to have their life. It's yeah. kind of a cool thing. They're they're inspirational. They're very positive, thought-provoking. I, I enjoy their stuff. They break it up into like 10 or 11 different categories. First one is the obituary of this person. Right. And then the last one is the James Vanderbeek category of, I don't want your life. <laughs> and it's fantastic. And they've got a Malkovich category in there, which is my absolute favorite. But you guys should totally go check these guys out. They cover athletes. They cover rock stars. Yeah. Just, I mean, anybody and everybody. I mean, they've covered Eddie Money, Luke Perry. I even forgot he died. Fred Willard, Gene Wilder, Bill Paxton, Hank Aaron, Alan Rickman. You told me you found a Bill Paxton nugget in one of their podcasts. From like, them. According to their podcast, I learned this stuff. Yeah. Bill Paxton. Do you know the song Fish Heads? Fish heads, fish heads, roly-poly fish heads, yeah. Bill Paxton was the director of that music video. Shut up. 
Yes. Dude, I love these guys. They yeah. are fantastic. Guys, if you have not checked out the Famous and Gravy podcast, definitely go check that out. Definitely. All right, hit stop on your tape player. Kick it out. Flip it over for side two. And we are going to kick it off with another one of the pillars of the 1990s. This song is called Enjoy the Silence. Once again, I've got to stop it or we'll just sit here and listen to the whole thing. Absolutely fantastic. Started off as a ballad. Started off as a slow, sweet ballad and came back again. Martin Gore, just a guitar and his voice on the demo. And they put it all together. All I ever wanted, all I ever needed is Basically went out to the club one night and a couple of them said, you know, this is, you just feel like this isn't going where we want it to go. And Flood was the guy who had been telling him, he had been telling him the whole time, you have these rules, break the rules. Like you have the rules that you don't do guitars, break that rule. Let's put some guitars in here. Yeah. And with this one, when they said, we can't get to that spot that we want to be with this song, he said, okay. We're going to delete everything that we've put in it so far, and we're going to start over again. They started over. They put this kind of techno dancey rhythm to it, and all of a sudden, the song took off. Yeah. So you're right. When he brought it, it was organs and Martin singing, and it was supposed to be a slow ballad. Alan Wilder and Flood said, no, let's put a beat to it. Uh, Martin Gore said that he was initially very skeptical. He actually sulked for two days. <laughs> he said, but he could see the crossover potential and how it was really coming together. This song is unbelievable. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to keep gushing. So I'm a, I have a, a vivid memory uh, from this time period. Okay. Riding in my buddy's truck. I grew up in a little town in Arkansas. And we're listening to the radio and this song comes up and I'm like, oh yeah. And I turn the song up and he, my buddy who's driving the truck, truck he's like, you like this gay song? <laughs> and I'm like, what? And he's like, dude, all I ever needed was him in my arms. I'm like, it's here in my arms, you ignorant hick. <laughs> Once they had completed the album, it was mixed by our man, Francois Kevorkian. Daniel Miller, you know, he's their manager. He's like, you know, guys, the song, the only song in the album that doesn't work for me is Enjoy the Silence. He's like, that song really needs to be more than it is. He's like, how would you feel if I took it and mixed it with my buddy, Phil Legg? Okay, Phil Legg was a guy who had worked with Daniel Miller. And he said they were so burned out, they were like, whatever, dude, just whatever, just take it. So Daniel Miller takes it. This is the only song in the album that is mixed by Daniel Miller and Phil Legg, not Francois Kevorkian. When they brought it back, they were like, that's it. That's Nailed the it. one right there. going 
to tell us where it ended up on the charts? Of course. So this song hit number eight, July 14th of 1990. Okay, so how the crap did this not hit number one in the U.S.? There are seven quote-unquote better songs than this. No, no chance, right? I do not agree at all. Okay, so here you go. Number seven on the Hot 100. This is from July 14th, 1990. Rub You the Right Way by Johnny Gill. Number- <laughs> you have number six, It Must Have Been Loved by Roxette. Pretty Woman. That's all that is. Hey, that's a big song in that summer. But that's what that is, yeah. Yep. Then you've got Cradle of Love by Billy Idol. That's that's a great song. That's a great, that's song. A great song. song. Number four is I'll Be Your Shelter by Taylor Dane. Taylor Dane was still making music in the 90s? Yeah. No chance this is better than <laughs> Enjoy the Silence. I don't think that's right. Okay, number three is Hold On by In Vogue. Which your wife, Jason, I'm sure you know this, is a huge fan of In Vogue, and I remember listening to this one quite a bit, too. She carried the Kasingle around in her purse. Yes, I know. I <laughs> she, know. She, it was She carried the Kasingle? Remember this? The Kasingle, yeah. Yeah, the Kasingle. <laughs> Buckle up. This is where it gets rough right here. Number two, She Ain't Worth It by Glenn Modernos and Bobby Brown. I don't even know what, what that song is. I what? actually remember who he is because he had some weird video where he was walking around on a beach. Yeah. I obviously know who Bobby Brown is, but... I could not tell you what that song is. She Ain't Worth It? She Ain't Worth I It. I can legitimately say I have, I have no idea what that song is. Mm-mm. And it was number two. Number two. Number two. Oh, my gosh. By the way, Glenn Modernos is now a principal in Hawaii. Oh, seriously? Yeah, he is. Oh, my gosh. It's that and, guy? Yeah, you remember him? Yes, because he, he did he some covered, other song. He um, covered Nothing's Gonna Change My Love For You. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then number one. Step uh. by step by the new kids on the block. <laughs> I actually what? have in my notes gag. <laughs> <laughs> there's no way. It, those those songs, I mean, there's some good songs in that list, but for the most part, none of them are better than this one. No. Okay. And that right there is why we ended up with songs like alternative rock and grunge because of songs by that, step by step. Good point. Yeah. Good point. Okay, so we ready to talk about the video in this song? Here it is. Let's talk about I did it. it. I I number one, yes, the the king costume does look a bit ridiculous, but it is supposed to look a bit ridiculous. I think that's the point. But number two, I just gotta laugh because the I think it was Fletcher says this is actually a pretty good video for the band. We were, we had to spend like an hour in the studio, and it was really no problem. Yeah, he, is he in it? Are they in it? Besides yeah, Dave? like I don't. Th- I think they just did the music. That's all they had to do. Is, and then Dave is walking around for five days in random, isolated, freezing. Stupid! It's dumb. Uh, with his chair, looking for a place of peace and quiet. It is based on the Little Prince, and that chair. He's king of the world, but he's king of nothing. He comes to him and he's like, okay, I'm thinking crown and a deck chair. (laughs) And they're like, okay. And he's like, that's it. Crown, deck chair. King, deep, and a deck chair. So wrong. This is a grand song that needs to be like live concert type of stuff. We need to pour some sugar on me (laughs) treatment on this one. I feel like... And you hate it. I hate it. It's so (laughs) dumb. Tell me who covered this song, Jeannie. Oh, my gosh. So I had to dig deep for this one, but it does. It's a good song. I was a little surprised at first that I would like it. It is covered by Carla Bruni, the model and wife of former French president 
Sarkozy. It's minimalized, right? It's minimalized. It's breathy. She kind of... I know Carla Bruni. Like, I've got... I've oh, she got, was huge. I dig it. I think it's really good. And I do believe she sounds a lot like someone that's very popular yeah, today. Totally. Yeah. Wow. It's really good. Okay. On to the next song. This song is called Policy of Truth. So if you had, if you said, pick one song that defines the sound of Depeche Mode and you took Personal Jesus off of the list, mm-hmm. this would be the song that I picked. Okay. Yeah. I, I love the beginning sounds of this. This goes back to their synth sampling days and I totally dig it. They've done great things. With yeah. This is the third single. This reached number 15 on the Hot 100. This should have been a number one hit as well. This is the third of three titans on this album. I absolutely love it. I think it's a killer song. Fantastic. There's a really cool guitar riff hook in this song. I heard somebody describe it as a six-note switchblade. I read that it is a um, single note from a guitar that has been sampled and then looped on a keyboard. We've talked about how, you know, Wednesday clubs, personal Jesus. Imagine the lyrics of this song. Imagine them in the context of Pontius Pilate talking to Jesus just before he's crucified. He's talking to him about paying the price for not listening to advice and deciding in your youth on the policy of truth. Whenever Jesus spoke to Pontius Pilate and the truth away, he's about to be punished. And yeah, I mean, you talk about Martin Gore. I mean, he has intertwined religion, and sex, and politics, and all these things. So I wouldn't put it past him on this type of thing. I sent you a clip from the movie Diamonds Are Forever. Yes. And I think that little stinger in for the bad guys in Diamonds Are Forever sounds similar to this song. Mr. Kid and Mr. Is this the one with the scorpion in the sand? Yes. Like- yes. Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid. Yeah. Yes. Okay. It's, it's similar. It that brushes was, it. That was the first James Bond movie that I ever saw. I think you're a blues guy. Does the name Eric Tesmer sound familiar to you? Apparently, he's a blues guitarist out of like the Austin area. I don't know. He got together and did a collaboration with Nancy Wilson of Heart. 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 Yeah. And it is all guitar, the cover. Oh, we got to hear that. It's just time to pay the price for not listening to advice. Decided in your youth on the policy of truth. I like it. It's a great song. Okay, moving on to the song called Blue Dress. Blue Dress. 
Okay, Skipper. It's not my favorite. It's not a skipper for me. This is one I, I actually enjoy it, but it's not. It doesn't fit in with the rest of the songs on the album. This is kind of the jazz club, romantic slow song, uh, but they leave their they leave their kind of squelchy techno beat behind it, which I don't think does it justice. I think if they'd left that out and made it a little more like uh, kissing a fool, yeah, then it's I a little think shrill at the front of the song. I, I think they, they could have done it differently and it would have been a better song, but I still won't put it as a skipper. Uh, Martin Gore described this song in one word. Pervy. <laughs> Pervy. Okay. Pervy. And I would agree. I mean, if you look at the lyrics, when you learn, you'll know what makes the world turn. He's basically saying, when I teach you what I want you to do, yeah, it's very pervy. It's basically based on watching a young girl undress and then telling her what to do. Put on a blue dress. Uh, <laughs> take it off. Take off. Uh, the, yeah. Well, the, the the lyrics I'm looking at keep say "put it on, put it on." Is that not the lyrics? Probably is. But what I read was if it's about watching a girl undress and once again, Jeannie talking about stripper stuff. <laughs> <laughs> talking about little girls getting undressed. It's gross. Right? I just want to tie it into the common theme here. <laughs> <laughs> You're fitting right in here at the Shirley Can't Be Serious podcast. Okay, so Jeannie, you were telling us earlier about Bono and Adam from U2 uh, sneaking into a Violator concert. Yeah, so I think they were at Madison Square Garden, and it was towards the end of the Violator tour. And Flood is sitting backstage in a room, just kind of chilling out, and Anton Corbin, the videographer, comes in with two of these scruffy-looking guys in hoodies, and Flood's like, great, who are these people? Well, it turns out to be a no bono, and I think Adam Clayton. And Flood had previously worked with them some on, you said, the Joshua Tree. Yeah. And they have heard Violator. They are impressed. U2 is always a colossal fan of U2. They're always changing their sound and moving forward. I'm a big fan of moving forward, not back. They basically are like, we love what you've done here. We want you to come produce our next album. And that next album was Octune Baby. Fantastic. Yeah, it's awesome. Wow. Okay, last song on the album. This song is called Clean. Okay, so listening to the beginning of this song, I'm wondering if they were working with the same guys who were working with Enigma, the Gregorian chant thing that they did back in 1990 as well. Yeah, it was popular. For yeah, that's, it's got that feel for it for sure. This is probably the skipper on the album for me. It's it's cool if you're chilling, I guess, a little bit, but it, it, it doesn't really do it for me. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites, but I do think it's a good ending. I think it's gone through all this we've purged all these thoughts about pleasure and guilt and here we are and now we're clean sometimes <laughs> confessed sometimes. our sins <laughs> that's my favorite thing that he says in this song is when he goes really low sometimes it just doesn't finish as strong as I want it to I don't think it man if they had finished with policy of truth that would have been a so? perfect capper yeah it was inspired by Pink Floyd's one of these days I believe in 1971 it was completely electronic the song, which was not, Unheard common, of, yeah. not common at all. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Anything else on this one? I think it's very foreshadowing. Okay. How so? 
Well, I think this was right about the time. I think Dave himself was going through a divorce, uh, like the beginnings the, yes. of the breakdown of the marriage. I think within the next year or so, he was divorced, which kind of spiraled him into self-destruction and heroin addiction. So I, I really do think it's like this is what's coming next. You like you like it at the end of the album. I do because I think we've wrapped all this up and now we're entering into the next phase and it's not going to necessarily be pretty. Okay, so you mentioned that. Let's just talk about this real quick. So Dave has a rough go after this album. They have the world on a string at this point. After Violator, the success of Violator, he said every velvet rope was open, anything they wanted, tons of money. So in October of 1993, he collapses on stage from a drug-induced heart attack in New Orleans. The band had to improvise a encore while he's being stretchered off. In August of 1995, he attempts to kill himself by slitting his wrists. This is all after this success of this album. In May of 1996, he overdoses on a speedball. His heart stops for two minutes. He has an out-of-body experience. He's revived, and the paramedics nickname him The Cat due to his nine lives. So he divorces the wife that was his heroin buddy. The second wife. Yep. Uh -huh. He meets another lady at this treatment facility in Arizona. And they have been married ever since. Mm -hmm. And he's been sober now. I think he got his 10-year coin not too long ago. So awesome. he's doing much better. And the band is better than ever. I've seen some live performances out there that just were amazing. Well, mm -hmm. one of the band members is not doing better than ever. That's true. Well, yes. One of, Angie Fletch Fletcher passed away in 2022 of an aortic dissection. We usually talk about album artwork, and we haven't yet on this one. Do you guys know who the artist is who did this? No. Do not. It's Mr. Anton Gorbachev. Really? Yeah. It is a striking cover. It is a red rose on a black, other otherwise black album cover. And it was just, uh, well, let's see how this goes. And they loved it. That sort of ties into how they got the name for the album. Have you seen anything on that? No. They were actually poking fun at heavy metal, and so they went for the most heavy metal sounding <laughs> name they could find, Violator. That sounds, hey, that's good. That's because awesome. That's kind of what we were coming down from was all that heavy metal hairband. So the comparison of these two albums, well, it was the idea of Amanda Janik. She's the one who put this together for yes. us. Yes, and then when we said, "Do you want to do Violator?" she was like, uh, "Can I just do Disintegration, please?" We're like, <laughs> sure, no problem. And then we said, "Jeannie." You like Depeche Mode. Well, how about you do it with us? And she graciously appeared for us. And so, Amanda, since this was your idea, we're going to throw back and say, Amanda, which of these two albums, as if we didn't know, are you going to pick? I don't think this is going to surprise anybody. But one thing I did want to tell you guys, anytime I listen to either Disintegration or Violator on Spotify, they go directly to Space Age Love Song by Flock of Seagulls. So apparently I have a taste. But the winner to me, you guys, is Disintegration all day, every day. This is not a surprise to anybody. I think it's a perfect album from start to finish. Just that roller coaster for the heart and mind just gets me every single time. Trent Reznor stated it perfectly during the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. It wasn't just the sounds or the words or the presentation. All of it was anchored by the most exquisite instruments, Robert Smith's voice. That voice capable of such a range of emotion, form and expression for rage, sorrow and despair to beauty, frailty and joy. That in a nutshell is disintegration. A range of emotion from an expression of rage, sorrow, and despair to beauty, frailty, and joy. 
I can't think of a better way to describe that album. Violator's a good album. It's not great, guys. I find it boring. You know, there's some great songs on there. World in My Eyes is great. Personal Jesus, everything loves that song. You know, I used to teach cycling, and it was one of the songs that we cycled to. Because it's a banger. You know, Policy of Truth, they're all killer songs. Sweetest Perfection makes me want to choke myself. Okay, and that's how I feel about a lot of other songs on that album. I played it for my husband last night. Just he only got a couple songs into it because it's just it doesn't do it for us. So zero surprise. Spike the f- football in the words of Jason. Disintegration all day, every day. Well, if you listen to our last episode, I don't think you're surprised in the least by that final judgment by Amanda. But Amanda, thank you very much for coming back and doing that for us. Jeannie, why don't you tell us where you are on your final judgment between the Cure's Disintegration album and Depeche Mode Violator? Okay, little back history. When you called me and said, hey, do you want to do this? And you said it's between Violator and The Cure Disintegration. I'm like, oh, Jason, I really like The Cure. I I think I'm a little biased. I think this is going to be a problem. You're like, well, we'll see. And I got to tell you, I, I love Disintegration. I love The Cure. I think Lullaby is a fantastic song, love song, pictures of you. All those songs to me are The Cure. But I also think that The Cure has a real big habit of putting a lot of skippers or what I like to call stinkers on every one of their albums. And for me, those long, drawn-out music riffs, I I don't want to go down the LSD trip with Robert Smith. I just don't. And so for me, I find myself skipping some songs. Violator, on the other hand, I really didn't know I knew all the songs until until I started listening. And then I'm like, I know that one. I know that one. I like that one. And I think there are a couple of skippers on it as well. Here's the big difference between the two. Disintegration, Robert Smith was tired of the pop happy-go-lucky songs and he wanted to go back to the darker stuff. So he's moving backwards. And then at the same time, Depeche Mode is wanting to change and move forward. They've had great success. They're happy with it, but they want to like improve on it and move forward. For me, it's Violator. Wow, so you changed your mind. I did change my mind. Wow, okay. And I love The Cure, and I love Robert Smith, but I got to tell you, I think Violator is by far a better album. Okay, so before we started this, if you had offered me a million dollars to name more than five songs off of either of these albums, I probably would have come up with a few, but I didn't, I'm not, I wasn't familiar with either of these albums. So thank you to Amanda for, for pushing us this direction. She's exposed me to The Cure now. I love Disintegration. I think it's a great album. When I look at Violator, it's a little uneven. And when I say that, I think the three worst songs from either of these two albums is on Violator. But there are three absolute pillars from the 1990s that are on Violator. And because of the strength of Enjoy the Silence, Personal Jesus, and Policy of Truth, if I'm walking out the door, I'm grabbing Violator. Okay, so Violator has the nostalgia points that you just mentioned. Those pillars are a part of my teenage years. Right. Uh, I would have said when we very first started things that I was, there's no question in my mind, I'm picking Violator. It's got to be Violator because I really liked a lot of the stuff on Violator. And as I said, even in the Cure episode, I didn't like the Cure. I can't believe I'm saying this right now. This is nuts. What? So, okay. So, like... Violator has all that nostalgia for me, but I mean, the fact that listening to Disintegration within the first three minutes 
took me from, I don't like the cure to, wow, this is really good. It's not just, oh, this is okay. This, it was, I was like, holy crap, this is really good. And the whole album is really solid. I mean, there, there's a song or two in there that are not my favorites, but as a whole, it's really, really strong. And as you said on Violator, there are some, there are some low spots. Valleys are deeper on Violator. <laughs> right. And so I'm teetering, I'm teetering on the, on the seesaw here, but I got to say Amanda Janik's love for the cure is so infectious that she has pushed me over the edge. All right. I am picking. Yes, I'm saying it. I am picking disintegration as my pick of these. Wow. Two Are you spiking the football? I just because she was so gracious and kind and sent us these awesome cups. Yes. <laughs> I will spike the football. <laughs> that is awesome. D that is awesome. So thank you, Amanda. We appreciate you for holding up that sign in June and bringing us, dragging us over the finish line. Jeannie, thank you for coming here today. You actually drove here in yes. person. All those miles. Hey, it's a couple my, hours, my you know. Best friend. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, well, thank you for thank being you for here. And me. thank you for doing this for us. And thank you for bringing Chris. Yes, he's Hi, Chris. over there. <laughs> Telling, this was bucket list for me. Like I said, I know you guys do this all the time, but that's one of the things I'm like, talk on a podcast. And now I've done it. I've well, achieved that goal. And big time too, yeah. huh? Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm a little wordy. It was fun to hear you say that this so you sent us a text you know we we start texting when when the the partnership is you know decided and the album is decided we start texting each other like oh did you hear this and oh did you see this video and all this right and then at some point Jeannie says on a side note I absolutely love your show but wow it is crazy to me that you two do this time and time again there are so many rabbit holes to go down and my response was I hate it but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, if you have matchups that you want to hear us do that we may not consider, hit us up. It works. Def Dave did it, and right. he's, he's in our routine text thread at this point. So That's right. And, you know, we talk about the biggest compliment that we receive is when somebody admits to us that we've moved the needle for them. So if you didn't like The Cure or you didn't like Depeche Mode and we moved the needle for you, let us hear from you. We want to know that. Makes and, us happy. Yeah, it does. Okay, so next week, D, we are diving in. We're going to do kind of a special couple of top fives. We're going to do our top five Halloween movies from the 1970s. It's October. It's the perfect time it's for it. It's the perfect time. And then the week after that, we're going to do the top five Halloween movies from the 1980s. Yeah, and then we're going to follow that up with 1983's Stephen King trilogy, Cujo, Dead Zone, and Christine. See you guys next week. And his lyrics, there's a lot of um, ambiguity. I can't say the word. Ambiguity. Ambiguity, thank you. There's a lot of ambu- <laughs> <laughs> ambiguity. Ambiguity. <laughs> ambiguity.